Hi there, and welcome to Handelsbank and Insights. We're here this morning with James Poole, Chief Economist of Handelsbank in the UK, for our weekly economic update. Good morning, James. Good morning, Mariana. Okay, let's get started. Um, as always, let's kick off with a quick look at the high-frequency data. This week, I believe you've looked at the UK in comparison to other major industrialised economies. What can you deduce? Well, yeah, what, what's becoming clear is the UK is facing something of a challenge, really. Um, we do seem to be lagging uh, some of the others, not just in the fact that we've been a bit slower to remove some of the restrictions. Others have been slow to re- remove restrictions as well. I think the key has been that the UK, we just don't see people embracing moving back into the office in the same way that you've seen in other countries. Now, this is a thing that does change day by day, and we've only got the data up through sort of the middle of last week, and it may be that, you know, literally this week it, it does start to improve. We've seen some evidence of that on London Tubes. But in general, what we're seeing is um, a little bit slower to reopen here. Um, what's also notable is just when we look at the 2020 data versus the 2021 data, um, the UK was, yes, we were one of the hardest lockdown. That's certainly true. But we also embraced that lockdown in a way that others seem to take it with a bit more, well, they weren't, they weren't as keen to, to actually shut their economies down quite as hard as we did because the people themselves in the UK, they eschewed um, using public transport across the country. They really didn't want to go into their offices. So um, we've seen a very, very hard lockdown here and it's taking some effort to, to break it. And I think that breaking is going to become breaking that, that, that um, habits of the last year and a half. That's going to be really important in getting the economy going. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the latest monthly GDP figures come out. Now, uh, these covered the time when the Delta variant was just getting going and we were all living in fear of the, the NHS pandemic. Um, I'd imagine that had an impact. Well, yeah, it did. Um, um, certainly that pandemic, uh, as, as it was known, and you know, the government pretty quickly recognised that because they, they started to soften the pandemic. There was rumours that um, people, people with COVID could pass you in a bus and you would get pinged as a result. Um, uh, the 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 upshot uh, the was zero point one percent growth in the month of July, which is really really poor. Um, and it's um, it, the fear has to be that you know what we have is is a situation we had last September, um, and people sort of forget what happened last September. But last September we were looking at the economy continuing to grow well, and obviously we didn't anticipate the, the further lockdowns and, and the, the, the um, measures that they took over the course of that autumn. Uh, then what happened was September stumbled, and then um, it it all of a sudden wasn't so obvious that we were going to make the original forecasts. Um, now, our forecast for the moment remains that we are going to be uh, coming into uh, the level of 2019 at the beginning of 2022. Um, but if we continue with, with this, that's going to be more difficult. I think the other thing that's really, really critical to remember here is um, that before COVID itself, we had a number of pretty big concerns. We had concerns around the political situation here in the UK, uh, we hadn't had the general election. We had a government at the time which was uh, having great difficulty getting literally any legislation through. Uh, we didn't have a Brexit deal, so people were concerned about that. Uh, we had challenges to productivity. UK productivity hadn't been very good. Um, we had the zero interest rate policy, which we needed to find some way to slowly wind down because it clearly wasn't um, going to be sustainable forever. We have a, a pretty big challenge in moving towards net zero. Um, uh, it's probably necessary in the longer term, um, but it does it does actually require economic trade-offs between now and then. And then finally, of course, we have a lot of debt. And since the, the whole pandemic has hit, uh, the political situation may have cleared up a bit, and the Brexit deal has clearly had, um, been, been had. But um, 
all the rest of it uh, still there. So we still face challenges of productivity. We still have zero trade policy, net zero, and even more debt. Um, so it's a, a long way from solved uh, in terms of what the challenges to the economy are going forward. So as people sit, sit there and think, thank God we're over COVID, at the same time, um, we still have all those problems that we had beforehand sitting in. Okay, so looking at how we might chart our recovery, are we still on track to meet the end of 2019 GDP by the end of this year? I, that's still, still certainly my, my forecast, and I think it is likely, uh, although it's obviously not certain. And the two things that hinge upon that are obviously, do we go into um, some sort of further lockdown? The Prime Minister has told us in the last day or so that he's extremely reluctant to move into a further lockdown. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I think COVID is something we're probably going to end up having to just live with. Um, and the other thing, of course, is, is tax rises, which uh, we're going to touch upon in just a moment. Um, but if they do bring through significant tax rises, I would be surprised to see people starting to um, pull back on their spending. And of course, that will slow the economy down because they'll be anticipating tax rises. Um, and, and that could well be um, uh, a bit dampening on, on the overall economic confidence. OK, trade figures have also been released with global trade looking up. Is the UK seeing an improvement? Well, on the one hand, UK services exports are doing well and our goods deficit is expanding as the economy recovers, which is so far so normal. Um, but, and it's a pretty big but, uh, global trade is booming and the UK really isn't uh, taking as much of it as might be expected. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be people who blame Brexit uh, and uh, undoubtedly there is a, a good deal of truth in that. Um, we have, of course, signed a huge number of trade deals over the last um, year and a bit. And one would expect in time those trade deals to start to um, substitute for some of that. But um, forging new trade deals does actually require people to be able to, be able to travel. And um, so long as we have extremely strict travel restrictions, uh, I can't see trade actually taking off on the back of that. We need to forge new trade partnerships here in the UK. And that's not going to be happening until uh, business people uh, can actually get out there and sell their goods and services. Uh, and at the moment, that just isn't happening. And so the trade picture is not looking terribly good for the UK. Mm. Um, well, one thing we learned last week is that taxes are going up. What's going on there? Well, the PM has indicated he wants to fund um, the NHS and uh, to actually take on an enormous new um, burden for the state, which is uh, that of social care. Uh, all sorts of reasons, political reasons as to why social care is a good or, or not such a great idea to take on for the state. Uh, I'll leave that to the politicians. But what he has uh, proposed is that um, uh, national insurance, which... Um, the idea that national insurance is a separate tax seems firmly fixed in many people's minds. It, it isn't. It goes to the exact same place that income tax goes. It's just income tax by a slightly more palatable name. Um, national insurance is to go up by one and a quarter percent. Well, actually, that isn't the beginning of it because national insurance is paid by both the employer and the employee. So it's actually two and a half percent. And critically, um, normally national insurance stops when you hit the age of 65. This, this is not going to stop. It's going to be paid by everybody. And also critical for the government is that national insurance is paid by everybody in the country. So it is not a devolved tax. So it will be hitting the Scots as much as it hits uh, the rest of the people in the country. Uh, and so the, the, the Scottish government is not going to be able to get away with not paying this one. Um, he's also put dividend taxes up. Uh, this, is, this is actually big. A, a lot of Tory MPs dislike this intensely. Um, and it also, uh, even more importantly, has shown in the polls for the first time in, gosh, really since the general election, uh, the Conservative Party dipped underneath the Labour Party in terms of support. So um, lots of people also voicing their distrust of the government spending their so much money um, and dislike of the idea of taxes going up. We already are very highly taxed. I think it's really indicative to look at this 
to realize this tax rises will take taxes a percentage of GDP to a level we've only equaled um, in the late 1960s under Harold Wilson when when the Beatles were busy recording songs on the tax man. So if your leading pop group of the day is complaining about the tax levels, you know you have a problem. Uh, and that's what happened then. And um, this is where the prime minister is proposing to take us now. Okay. Um, shipping remains unusually newsworthy because it remains really quite expensive and it is having an impact and that's having an impact on, on inflation. But I believe you've, you have a view on how this might tell us something about wide inflationary impacts. Um, yes. Uh, so, there's been some uh, some more data that's come out. And in fact, the way that they, they cut the data up, they used to just measure uh, from um, Far East to Northern Europe. They didn't separate the UK out. And that they now do separate the UK out. Uh, and it shows that it's a little bit more expensive to ship to the UK than it is to ship to, um, uh, say, Northern Europe, so to Rotterdam, which tends to be the, the large container port. And, and that's largely a, a result of the fact that once you get into Rotterdam, you've got a, a bigger hinterland to ship into. Uh, so the question becomes one of, has it always been more expensive to ship to the UK and we just haven't realized it because the data hasn't told us? Or is this some new um, new um, development? Uh, that's that's really not knowable. But what we can see is that um, uh, that there is a, um, a real differentiation between those people who ship regularly and those people who ship more occasionally. And so for, um, say, a, a large manufacturing um, factory in, in Northern Europe, where they every week they say we would like 20, 40, 100 containers worth of stuff from China, um, and they are a very, very regular user of that shipping line, um, they get a certain rate. And if you are a, somebody who takes an occasional container, uh, you get a much higher rate. Um, that sort of thing goes on all the time in businesses, uh, and it's not particularly uh, unusual, um, but we are seeing much more of it coming through and all of that. And of course, there's a little bit of, of hitting against entrepreneurialism there, which I think um, you know, entrepreneurs will be in startup companies. Those companies will unlikely to have the volume of um, trade to, to justify you know, many, many containers worth of stuff, and therefore they'll be paying higher prices, and uh, that will be um, that'll be harmful. And given that we are looking for a lot of economic transformation in the next few years, uh, we would obviously like to keep the costs to entrepreneurs down as much as possible to allow their companies to be as competitive as possible, and that's just going to be mitigated against by the shipping rates. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, more house price data has been released. Anything new on that front? Um, yes, so Halifax and Right Move both came out, um, joining Nationwide, which came out the week before. Um, the bottom line is that the, the, the figures are going up and down in various uh, things, not by very much. It's, it's a little bit of, of, frankly, market noise on a month-to-month basis. Um, there have been significant amounts of sales pulled forward. We do expect volumes to be falling away, and we do expect to see a slowing of the house price growth. Uh, although as long as the economy is looking like it is on that path to recovery by the end of the year, uh, I would certainly expect to see house price increases continuing, um, just not at the pace that they've been over the last few months. So uh, we'll wait for a bit longer before we see a clear path forward, um, just to say we have had some more data. It doesn't really give us that much clearer idea of what's uh, going to be going on. So we'll rely on our previous forecast of um, uh, a falling from the sort of 8 to 10% down to sort of 4 to 5% by um, the end of the year. Okay, and finally, the European Central Bank has given us a bit of a direction on monetary policy. Are they going to be tapering? Well, they don't like to use the word tapering, um, but we have seen a a bit better idea of where they're going and what what they would like to happen now. Obviously, uh, central banks around the world have a view of what what they would like to happen and um, what happens in practice may or may not um, bear much resemblance to what they would like to happen. But 
there's certainly a good economic recovery underway in uh, much of the Eurozone, and therefore um, they need to change some of their monetary policy as a result of that. Um, so they have two programs there. They have an asset purchase uh, plan, and they have a thing called the PEP. Um, so what they've said is that the PEP is going to be, um, there's plans to start uh, reducing the PEP over time. And I think that's actually quite a, a responsible thing to do. We've seen lots of other uh, central banks doing similar things. Um, Bank of England here has told us that when um, interest rates uh, rise to 0.5%, they will no longer be reinvesting uh, the proceeds of the quantitative easing in the program. And they've given us an indication of when they think those interest rates might, rises might come. So um, it, all in all, what it, it does is it says the European Central Bank is following uh, the same sort of thing, which is giving markets an idea of how uh, issues are moving going forward. Um, and I think that this explanation is, is a really good thing. You don't want to surprise markets. You want to keep them confident. You want to give them the idea that you actually have a plan and that you are confident about meeting that plan and that the plan does make sense and that, that sort of senior people can look at it, scrutinize it and um, come to some sort of uh, an agreement. One thing I would say is that um, we look at the fiscal imbalances that happen within the Eurozone, which are measured through the Target 2 um, system. Uh, they've topped 1 trillion euros. So that, that is to say, uh, Germany is that 1 trillion euro creditor to the rest of the Eurozone. Um, that means, of course, that it becomes impossible, not to say that it was ever really likely at all, but it, it's, it's extremely difficult to see the Germans being able to back away from much of these um, uh, centralizing um, programs within the European Union. Uh, and it does mean that I think that fiscal transfers become all that much more likely. Uh, and that, of course, is going to be a huge challenge for the next transfer of Germany. Um, so when Mrs. Merkel steps down at the end of this month, um, then then the new challenge, new transfer will have a big challenge in sort of how do they straighten out the European finances for the longer term. Many thanks, James. Um, and look forward to speaking again next week. Thanks very much, Banner. Speak soon.